five four three two one i'm john miglosh from the wisconsin dma and the international society for strategic marketing i have to put that second one in because we're up in minnesota today not in wisconsin and the fact is we have more we have more members outside of wisconsin than inside uh, i guess a prophet is not welcome in his hometown anyway let's get over to the news and see what's going on okay first let's start with something fun i didn't get this right away but when I'm out for March oh, Madness, you'll I'll cover explain. phone trades. Uh -huh. People can get a free Samsung Galaxy S22 when they trade in a Galaxy. Any year, any condition. Oh, I get it. So you can take your old phone that you've had for 12 years and loved every minute of and trade it in for something new that suits your life now? That's right, yeah. Then enjoy immediate success. Even though you'll never forget your old phone, ever. It's a great trade. Life-changing. Get a free Samsung. So anyway, <laughs> Matthew Stafford was, from, was with Detroit for like 12 years and uh he never did much <laughs> never never could beat the packers and uh then he got traded to la and boom won the super bowl uh so sometimes it's worth trading in stuff and on that note let's get over to another trade story 16 states sue the usps over gas-powered purchases <laughs> truck purchase they Postal Service is buying about 100,000 new little trucks to replace the uh, the old ones that were first launched in 1987. So that makes them, I don't know what, 35 years old or something. Uh, you know, it's like, whoa, whoever made those first ones did a really good job that they're still running. Uh, and so maybe that's influenced the decision. Maybe they decided that electric is just a just a flash in the pan or a, a, some, a new fad, who knows? Anyway, so along comes California and 14 or 15 other states, and they're suing the USPS because they said you have to buy electric vehicles because you're gonna stink up our communities. Well, probably less than now. I mean, the, the fact is that they're running gas vehicles now, and I'm sure it'd be a, a whole new infrastructure have to be put in for every, for every three or four of the little trucks you probably have to put in a couple of charging stations etc so there's a lot to buy and you know they may not be getting the seventy thousand dollar rebates and and subsidies that a chevy volt got <laughs> who knows <laughs> we don't know <laughs> but anyway so they may have to pay for the actual car <laughs> or truck <laughs> anyway um and you know um Astoundingly, according to the Washington Post, uh, the Postal Service signed a contract, paid millions of dollars for these vehicles first before even doing their environmental testing. Well, that does sound kind of like the post office. <laughs> Kim Frum, from the U.S. Postal Service, said they conducted a robust and thorough review and fully complied with all the obligations under the National Environmental Policy Act. The Postal Service contract called for 10% of the new vehicles to be electric, but the Postal Service contends more electric vehicles can be bought based on financial outlook and strategic considerations. I think it's kind of something to keep up, you know, an ace to keep up your sleeve because, you know, you might get stuck with vehicles for 30 years and there's going to be a lot of innovation and a lot of change in the, in the vehicle market in the next decade or two. Everybody knows that, right? The, the next generation of the electric vehicles may deliver the mail on its own, somehow or other, right? So, <coughs> excuse me, 
I have a proposed solution for the settlement, and that is in cities where there are air pollution, significant air pollution quality issues. I debated this in high school. <laughs> where it's a serious problem, give those 10% or 20, I guess 20% of the fleet is already electric. Give those to the, uh, to the cities. Never mind that those are basically coal powered. And, you know, the coal power plant is clean coal, but, you know, and most of what they're fighting about is the CO2 that comes out the, out the pipe that is good for plants. And with the fertilizer prices going up, 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 you might want to put a little more CO2 in the air. Anyway, now let's get over to, to Ritson. Um, I have to admit, this is... Is, is beyond my depth. Apparently, Accenture, which used to be Arthur Anderson, and then uh, the courts said they had to divest their ad agency or whatever, their consulting group from their, cons from their accounting group. And so they came up with this word Accenture, which I didn't think was that great, but you know, they pounded us with plenty of advertising. And now I'm not sure if it's called Accenture Song or it's just called Song as a company name. <laughs> but I know that song.com is taken. So uh, I learned that from Mark Ritson. I learned a lot from Mark, and that's why I feature these. And I'll put this up in the, uh, in the um, show notes, of course, over at WDMA.org. Accenture, and then they have these pretty colors song okay um the fact that they rebranded it voluntarily i got a minus 10 with ritson because rebranding is a recipe for disaster one of the questions he asks is um the question he asks about the name he said when uh one of the big problems with pwc yes them again rebranding its consulting arm as strategy and was the unfortunate moment when employees were asked, who do you work for? Strategy and. And what? <laughs> I can see that be problematic. And people would pause and wait for what, what, and what? <laughs> Telling people you work for song is probably not going to earn you much respect. But if they keep... You know, song has a creative balance to Accenture. You know, it's, he said in one place it sounded a little wonky, but, you know, it, 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 it adds a little more creative, creative, nuanced uh, melody to the Accenture name. Brand consolidation. This, he gave a plus five because they're supposedly taking 30 different agencies and smashing them into this. Accenture song, which would be really great. There's just one exception that he takes a big issue to. And uh, not quite consolidation. The New York-based Droga 5 will not be subsumed because David Droga is the CEO of Accenture song, and he wants to keep his, his percentage of, of equity or something. I don't know why. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so Droga is still on par. He, he, Ritson went a little off 
off the map here, I think. He said, I had to actually go look at pictures of David Droga. And Ritson says, David Droga looks like he always looks like he knows the answer, but isn't going to tell you what it is. I don't know. It's hard for me to read all that in. And, uh, you know, I don't particularly find him attractive. <laughs> in Droga, Ritson says, they have a genuine savant and everyone knows it. Okay, to see David Droga photo is to witness the ultimate exemplar in employee branding. I know exactly what's going to happen, his face always says, but I'm not going to tell you a thing. <laughs> well, that may be, uh, maybe Ritson knows him better. It's a brilliant leadership position in an industry that permanent, is permanently afraid of change and continually obsessed with the sparkling new things. Boy. That was one of the most profound summaries of, of, of advertising and marketing I've ever seen. So kudos to Mark Ritson on that one. Okay, and the key thing, uh, oh, anyway, so it goes on. Salience is good. A total score is neutral. So he thinks it might work. Now let's just, here's for, something from FizzOrg, I guess. And Fizzorg, I haven't done much with, um, but and they don't give credit to any of the writers, which I don't like. But they do, do have a big copyright thing on the bottom. So it's hard to do much attribution. Anyway, but personalization is not new. Sears, they said, did an 80,000 or 8,000 customer mail campaign in 1892 and produced a 40% conversion rate. We used to call that response rate. 2,000 new orders. Was it a prospect mailing? I don't know the story of this, but I do know about L.L. Bean, which was in 1912. Leon <laughs> invented a boot with a leather upper and a rubber bottom that was good for swamps. And he rented the hunting and fishing list, mailing list of the state of Maine, and I think that was about... I don't know, it was a couple thousand names. And he sold a bunch of these things. And they all fell apart because the bonding between the rubber and the leather was inferior. He ended up re replacing them all, and that was the launch of the L.L. Bean brand in 1912. Okay, so I don't know if that's personalized or not. That's just great customer service and integrity. Um, and he fixed the boots, you know, before he replaced them all. I think he, he found a better process for putting them together. Nothing like throwing them out into the marketplace, which we're doing with our bee, bee house hosting. Um, personalization is more than targeting customers with products, right? Of course it is. And um, I mean, even Amazon, who's famous for that connection for decades, I guess, said people who bought A also bought B. No implication that you should. No implication that this fits somehow our AI profile for you and all your data that we have on hand. It wasn't even related to that. It was just related to that product. The first five people that bought a, a, uh, an additional product in their, in their order, when that product hit the market, they just kept those five products. Could have been complete nonsense, <laughs> but it didn't matter. And unbalanced, you know, it worked. It, there was no algorithm involved at all, and uh, there was a humility in it, and I always liked it. 
Um, there's a little segue in here that I wasn't quite sure what to say with about, but 91% of customers in a report by Merkel said they're likely to make repeat purchases if they feel heard. And of course, I think that is a strong, strong uh, loyalty factor. Um, back when I started in marketing, we found that people who got shipped the wrong thing or a broken product or had some other mistake um, that got fixed were far more loyal than people who just got what they wanted. <laughs> you know, oh well, they expected that. But when they had a real interaction and the company actually came through for them, um, and this was from my bo boss, Vic Hunter, who ran a business furniture company, uh, business furniture catalog, B&I Furniture, and uh, so they had a lot of experience with things getting dented and broken a little bit when they went up the stairs, and they had a really good customer service team and um, and they track customer lifetime value a lot too. So real case study. Um, not only do customers prefer personal interaction, but they also demand it since the pandemic. And I have to say that for the most part, I feel completely unheard by almost any company. I like to make suggestions. For example, make a phone that isn't as big as a television set. This is the smallest phone I could find these days, smartphone, and it's pretty big, okay, but it's not terrible. I would like a phone that's about 75% that size. Apparently, Apple is coming out with a brand new sized phone that matches their original, <laughs> their original iPhone. People like that iPhone. I still see people with them. It's like, I'm not getting rid of this until they make a new one, you know, and I had a, I've had a, a bunch of small phones that really... With in you know now that you can put 64 gig on a little thumbnail of a chip, my goodness, you ought to be able to do that. Anyway, <clears throat> so I love this studies show. <laughs> the potential benefits of of <laughs> okay. So anyway, companies that excel at personalization generate 40% more revenue than others. Uh, McKinsey says. Okay, so there's a study. Here's a, it seems like there's a trade-off between privacy and personalization. Well, it depends on how, you know, it depends on what you do with the information. Um, I mean, we never model with personal names. We just model with groups, you know. Here's the people we mailed all the 100,000 catalogs to, and here's the people that bought, here's the people that didn't buy. We divided into those two groups. We don't care who it is or not really. We just want to see if there's important variables that tell us why some bought and some didn't. You know, and we look at about 500 variables and sometimes really surprising things pop out. Oh, studies show that customers are frequently irritated by generic marketing messages. Customers are also an <laughs> frequently irritated by uh, retargeting that they've already bought. They've already gotten past that. I think this is funny. Netflix demonstrates to good effect that uh, that they can guess what you want. Have you ever have you ever tried Netflix recommendations? I mean, it's better than just starting from scratch with a million videos or something. But you know, it's not that good, and it also is not much of an algorithm. It just glops up categories of films together that you haven't watched versus what you have, and um, you know, when they famously offered a million dollars for a better algorithm, 
they didn't even implement it because it was way, 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 way more complicated and it only lift, gave a lift of a couple of percent. So they said, well, this isn't any better than what we got. So it's a very, very, it's, it, you know, the, the, the article descends into AI-powered recommendation engines and service bots. Uh, I love that, you know, customer interaction is so important that they were going to put service bots on it to make it more personal. Anyway, um, they say customers respond positively when brands demonstrate their investment in nurturing a relationship uh, rather than just creating a sale. Gestures such as checking in on the latest transaction, sending how-to videos, or asking customers to write a review are all ways that brands can stand out. Yeah, except some brands that you write a review and they write you a nice note and then you write a review, another review next time you use them and they send you the same exact note. I did a hundred and some, 120 reviews for TripAdvisor. It was kind of a way to keep straight where I'd been. And it was always the same message. You are the leader in your on your city block. Just one more review and, and you'll be the king of 42nd and 7th. Algorithms can get things wrong without manual intervention. Amen. Um, and people, people, buyers make purchases of items and then they get the same, they get emails for the same one. Anyway, there's a lot of problems in personalization. I think there's always a need for a mix between what a customer what between something that clearly ties together and a good offer and too often merchandising companies have given up their their um their job to an ai bot that just keeps pouring out recommendations very difficult to check how well it's working always have some holdout tests always have some alternative offers you know i would say to my merchandise department i would say Look, let's give them a good sale. Let's give them something that we've gotten a good deal on. So we bought it at 40% off. Let's give some of that back to them and say, like the first time I ordered from Cabela's, and this was when they were talking about using me as uh, their very first segmentation consultant. Um, I got on the, I was on the phone ordering something. I don't remember what I was really ordering, but I ended up then the uh, the the sales. The telesales lady said, would you like to hear this month's special? And I said, sure. And she said, well, you can get, I think it was four crankbaits for $10, so $2.50, which is a really good deal for a, for a complex bait, a rattler, uh, rattling crankbait. And um, they looked really good. I never really caught any fish from them. But just the fact that they would have a, a general special deal for me after we'd finished the whole thing, <clears throat> was really powerful in changing my impression of Cabela's from a high-priced leader. I'd fished all my life. I could catch fish, you know, uh, with any with something at Walmart. Um, I still can't. But um, it gave me the impression that Cabela's was looking out for me. That they were they were working hard to get some deals that that. Uh, could save me some money, and I had really never fished with crankbaits before. So I would say that a good test, rather than a holdout test of your goofy AI, would be a, 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 an A-B test where personalized message, where we attempt to guess what you want, unlikely, versus a generic offer that's a good one, okay? Another point that they made in here is that 
that personalization can become restrictive and prevent exploration. Excellent point. Almost never mentioned. You know, for a musician's friend, we, we they had like a 500-page catalog, and so we were modeling, and we went head-to-head -head against, they tested us against eight different modeling companies around the world, 11 different tests. We beat them all. The last one we won by 321%. And uh, so they accused us of cheating. We sorted all that out. But along the way, <clears throat> I think it was Brian said, let's, um, let's do some of that segmentation that you talk about. So they actually had their people go out and sell, the merchandise people go out and sell ads to Gibson guitar and um, you know drum companies and all these different brands, and they would put like full page ads in, the, and they and we would do a drum catalog, and we would do a guitar catalog, and we would do a DJ catalog, and we had about three or four catalogs specially made every month. We had to do nested hierarchical models. So if you didn't get selected in the first model, you drop through into the next batch. If you didn't get selected into that, you drop through again, and finally you'd get the generic guitar catalog because we couldn't figure out what to do with you. <clears throat> so we had a really nice test panel every month. It was insanely complicated, you know, because each each panel was about, I don't know, 50, 50 individual discrete customer cells. And um, it did well, but it was so much work. <laughs> And Brian, who was the VP of marketing, said, let's not wreck a half a billion dollar company because we made five million on some ads that we sold. And I think that was pretty profound. So eventually we got back to one big catalog plus a sale book because we saw a real difference in the sale buyers versus the full price buyers. So anyway, uh, personalization, you you know, you're sending a smaller book, you're, you're narrowing the focus you're giving them a special, but maybe they wanted to look around for something else, and now it's just a little teeny catalog. It's a very big danger when you try to do when you try to guess the product. You're also reducing the scope of the offer if you're a cataloger, especially. So very very important point that I haven't seen in hardly any personalization articles. Well, that's enough for now. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye bye.